it's appropriate, the, uh, the song selection tonight, just these themes of what we've been singing, because we are going to dive into the love of God tonight. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I don't know if Luna or I don't know if the team knew, but man, we've been like prepping the atmosphere for meditation on the love of God. This is a familiar passage to us, but I'm just going to pray that the Lord uncovers this passage afresh again, that he gives us fresh revelation of this passage. I, in preparing for this, I dove into, you know, this chapter a few weeks ago, and I've just felt like I've been like swimming in an ocean of the love of God, and I can't find like the bottom, you know, and it's precious. I've just been thanking the Lord for the, the privilege it is to study this passage. So before I preach, let's just pray that we would hear this with fresh ears. Amen. The most repeated phrase of Jesus in the New Testament, or in the Bible actually, but the most repeated phrase that he says is, He who has ears, let him hear. And then in the book of Revelation, he adds, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I feel like in that phrase, there's a participation. It's we, we have ears. We all have ears, right? Anyone not have ears in this room? Because we're going to pray for you and those ears are going to grow. We all have ears here tonight. Some hear better than others. I won't call you out. Gary, I won't call you out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Some, we all have ears, but I think that he who has ears, that's all of us, but then it's let him hear. It's participate with Jesus and actually posture your heart to hear. How many of you heard Zach's message on hearing the voice of God a few weeks ago? John 10, it was a wonderful message. And I love that video that we showed of the sheep and an ancient in ancient days, in biblical days, uh, a lot of the smaller villages, they wouldn't have separate sheep pens. All the shepherds would bring in the sheep from the fields and they would bring them to one kind of communal city sheep pen. And then the way the sheep would come out in the morning is that when their shepherd came and their shepherd called them, only those sheep would come out of the sheep pen because they would recognize the shepherd's voice. They would hear the shepherd's voice. They would come to the shepherd. And so we saw that video where the sheep were in the field and all those people were coming and they were trying to call the sheep and the sheep wouldn't budge. They, they wouldn't even like pay attention. They wouldn't even look up, you know. They were just eating their grass. Is that a good impression of a sheep eating grass? They were eating grass and all these people came up like, Test person one, test person two, test person three, and they tried to call the sheep, and the sheep wouldn't move. But then the shepherd came up, and he began to call the sheep. And he had like a certain call, you know, I don't know what it was, I'm not going to try it, but it was something high-pitched. And as soon as he called, there was like three sheep that lift up their heads. And then as he kept calling, more sheep popped up and popped up. And then they just stood there, and they looked at him. And he didn't change his call at all. And then they literally all started running to him. 
I started crying when I saw that. I'm like, oh, that's how we're to respond. Sensitive hearts. Hearts that are soft toward his voice. That when he speaks, we look up. Where's he at? What's he doing? Oh, there he is. And we run after him. I'm still going to pray for us, I promise. But this is what I'm going to pray. That we have, who, we who have ears here in the room, that we posture ourselves to hear. And then what I love that he adds in the book of Revelation is that we hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I'm asking that we hear what the Spirit says tonight, not Marcus's revelation. I want you to hear from the Holy Spirit. Now the Lord might use one of my phrases, or he might just make one of these lines jump off the page and go, oh, that was just for me tonight. Don't you love how the Holy Spirit does that? I mean, I'll preach a sermon, and afterwards someone will come and say, man, that really impacted me. And I'm like, I don't remember those words coming out of my mouth. What I love about that is that's the Holy Spirit highlighting something from the passage, making the word of God come alive to our hearts, and he speaks right to the situation. It's like the word of God is just searching. He's just, it's that sword, and he's dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. He's speaking just to Pastor Ray, what Pastor Ray needs to hear in that moment. He's the only shepherd that knows how to lead us individually and how to lead us corporately. Isn't that wonderful? The individual leadership of God in your life. How many of you have just had those, like you've been on that edge, you've been on that, or in that transition or in that dark night of the soul and that prophetic word came and it opened your heart to the Lord again and it called you back to him. How many of you ever had prophetic words call you back to God? I feel goosebumps because I, I've had those moments to where like, God, I feel like giving up. Or I feel like this is too hard. Or I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I hate the I have no idea what's going on seasons. But I love it when God breaks in and speaks to me. And so he's a good shepherd. He leads us by his voice and we want to hear his voice tonight. So let's pray. Jesus, here we are. We have ears to hear. Would you speak to us tonight? Holy Spirit, would you let us hear what you are saying to our church? Would you let us hear what you are saying to this temple, to this body that's in this city? As others are gathering on Wednesday night, as others gather on Bible studies, let them hear what you are saying to them. But tonight we cry out and we say, let us hear. Open our ears. Give us ears to hear. And when we hear your voice, we pray for that Hebrews 4. Do not let us harden our hearts. Do not let us ignore your voice. Do not let us not obey your voice. We want soft hearts and we want grace inside of us to obey all that you say to us. We want grace inside that propels us into obedience. So let us hear and then give us grace to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, we're just going to go verse by verse. I don't know how far we're going to get. 
We have about 30 minutes. How, how many of you have a history in 1 Corinthians 13? You know this passage pretty well. Don't raise your hands if you don't. How many of you, this is kind of a fresh passage for you, 1 Corinthians 13. You don't know it too well. Okay, we're going to do that again, okay? How many of you in here have a history in 1 Corinthians 13 and you know it pretty well and you're like, yeah, this is precious to me. And others, you don't. This is kind of like the first. It's just good for me to know. Not the first time, but it's like, I haven't like really plunged the depths. Okay, okay, cool. I appreciate that. Thank you for your honesty. This has a, a, been a precious passage in my life. Has sometimes been one of those passages that I turn to in the midst of, I need to understand the love of God again. Or I need to understand and I need insight in how I am supposed to love like the Lord loves. We need insight and we need help to do that. And 1 Corinthians 13 is beautiful. I love the context of 1 Corinthians 13 because it's very practical. Paul's talking about gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12. And then he's talking about the unity of the body in chapter 12. We went through that last week. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you, you can listen online or you can just get into 1 Corinthians 12. It's powerful in its encouragement. We spent two weeks in it. And it's encouragement, one, to desire the gifts of the Spirit and to desire all the gifts of the Spirit. But two, that the body needs the body, right? That we need those who prophesy to prophesy, to rise up and be bold. And we need those who, who are teachers to rise up, and, rise up and be bold and teach. And those who have healing gifts to rise up and be bold and lay hands on the sick and recover. And something I didn't say last week, but I believe is true. We can operate in many of those gifts. Sometimes I have the gift of teaching highlighted in my life a little bit more strongly in a season because that's what the Lord needs. At other times, it's the gift of leadership. At other times, it's the gift of prophecy. I've had times in my life where, where it seems like everyone I pray for is healed instantly, and it, it seems to dry up at other times. The posture of my heart hasn't changed. Sometimes I talk to the Lord and say, hey, <laughs> what's going on? Am I in rebellion? Are we doing okay? You know. There's times he says, yeah, there's some stuff we need to deal with, and there's other times where he's like, no, we're good. So we kind of move in and out of those manifestations of the gifts. And other times, I read those like the gift of knowledge and the gift of wisdom. And I'll read it and I'll recognize I need that gift in this season. And I'll earnestly desire it. I'll cry out for it. And I'll see the Lord manifest in spiritual knowledge and spiritual wisdom. I'll get a dream over a situation or I'll get a prophetic word over a situation. I'm like, oh, that's the wisdom. That's the knowledge I've been looking for. So I just want to encourage us. We can earnestly desire for all the spiritual gifts. And then we can recognize those gifts that we are kind of the strongest in from time to time or those gifts that the Lord highlights more often and go, oh, he's anointed me in this gift a little bit more than that one. Is that good? And then we have unity, and then out of unity, Paul says, I want to talk about the most excellent way. And then he goes into 1 Corinthians 13. And then out of 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love, 
he, he begins to talk about very practical things that are going on in the church of Corinth. He was talking about the house church meeting and how it should function. But it's flowing out of, you guys have to love one another. So I want to lay this premise of love, and then I want to talk to you about very practical things that are happening between you guys. And I want you to submit to one another and to submit to my leadership and show love for one another. Amen? We're to show love for one another in ministry. We're to show love to one another on how we interact in this room tonight. We're to show love for one another on how we interact in our families and in our friend circles. And that love is supposed to be a fragrance to the lost. We talked about this this morning in one of our leadership meetings. We were talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 2, or 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And it says, we, you and I, are the fragrance of Christ in the earth. They can see that love in our lives and they go, oh, that smells something of heaven. That smells something, that, that feels holy. We want to be the fragrance of Christ, right? And I think it's as we show love, as we operate in this spirit, we are that fragrance. Well, let's dive in. I feel like actually the first verse of chapter 13 is actually the end of chapter 12. It says in verse 31 of chapter 12, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then Paul transitions and he says, I will show you the more excellent way. Verse 1 of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and I'm a clanging cymbal. Paul begins with referencing, I believe, speaking in tongues here. This is something he's going to really highlight in chapter 14. And it's something that the Corinthian church, they were going strong in. They were going strong in the gift of tongues. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am nothing. Or I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. This phrase, but have not love, I don't think Paul is saying you possess love or you don't possess love. It's not like an and or. I think he's saying that if you speak in a tongue or if you speak in tongues, but do not act in a loving way or do not show the love of God toward others as you're operating in that spiritual gift, he says, you're actually being a noisy gong. You're fruitless in your speech. You're, you're, you're nothing's, it's an empty noise is what he's saying. But I believe the opposite is true. If we operate in our spiritual giftings, but we operate with love in our hearts toward one another, we operate with humility toward one another, then it's not a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. It has fruit in our life now and in the age to come. I see this as the way God acts toward us. God is love. And he wants us to act with love toward one another. This is agape love. There's four words for love in the Greek. This word for love means pure, selfless, unconditional love. Now, how many of you, it's easy to have pure, selfless, 
unconditional. No matter what anyone does to you, you're going to continue to love them. Love. I'm not raising my hand because it's easy for me. (laughs) I've grown in my understanding of this. I've grown in my maturity in this. But it doesn't come natural. I want it to come natural. There are seasons, there are times where the Holy Spirit is operating and I'm listening to his voice and it feels like it's a little easier than other seasons. But Paul here is saying, I want you to act in love as you are using your spiritual gifts. The verse that was just highlighted to me as I was thinking of the way God acts in love toward us was Romans 8 or Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. Let's go to Romans 5, 6 through 11. It says this, For while, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Here it is though, guys. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Everyone says, say, while we were still sinners. How many of you have memories of while you were still a sinner? That brings things up in your mind. Some more than others, right? But we were all in that place while we were still sinners. What did he do? He died for us. I love how it goes on. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, it kind of highlights the sinners again. We were sinners, but now it goes a little deeper. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We were sinners. We were enemies. But he showed his love toward us. And this is that agape love that 1 Corinthians 13 is asking us to show toward one another. Not just toward the lost, but also inside the church. We need to love our brothers, right? We need to love our neighbors. Everyone look to your left, look to your right. If you're on a row and you have someone beside you, that's your neighbor. You need to love that neighbor with the love that God displays right here. And it's only by the Holy Spirit. Let's move on. Paul says, if you don't do this, you're a noisy gone or you're a clean and simple. Verse 2. He says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So Paul says, if I have prophetic powers, the NIV or the New King James says, the gift of prophecy. And again, it's operating in the gift of prophecy. If I operate in the gift of prophecy, but then he just says, you know, like such, at such a high level, if I had all prophetic powers, if I had all, all the gift of prophecy. And then he goes on, and understood all mysteries and all knowledge. I mean, that would be pretty cool, right? To understand all mysteries, to open up the word and go, oh yeah, I I get that, I get that, I get that, I know that, I know that. To have all spiritual knowledge. He said, if you had all of that, 
And then he says, and if you operated with all faith. Now this is crazy. Faith that would move mountains. I kind of think of him recalling Jesus' teachings. It says in Mark uh, 11, I love this. Jesus says, so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and doubts not in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. That'd be pretty cool to have all faith, right? How many in this room would like a little bit more faith? How many of you would like all faith? I, I'm raising my hand. I would like all faith. Paul said, if you had that level of anointing in ministry, if you had that level of, of faith in your life, but you did not use that to display love toward others, he said, you would have nothing. That's crazy. That's the level he's talking on right here. That's how important love is for our life. Now, when I think of that having nothing, I think you would have something in this life, but I don't think you would have much to show for it in the next life. I think Jesus would look at your life and, yeah, you operated in faith, but did you love well? It's a challenge for us, guys. So the summary of verse 2, I would say, if one person could embrace all prophecy, all knowledge, all faith to the full measure but at the same time would fail to act in love toward those he is ministering to, such a person would amount to nothing in the sight of God. That's a strong statement, but I think that's what it's telling us to be aware of. Verse 3, If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now the literal phrase here, to give away all that I have, means to parcel out all my possessions to feed the poor. Paul says, if you parcel out all your possessions to feed the poor, and if you endured one of the most painful deaths, but you did not do that with love in your heart for God and love in your heart for others, you would gain nothing. So that's the necessity of love. Love's pretty necessary, right? I kind of break this chapter up in three places in my mind. What we just talked about was the necessity of love, the first three verses. Now we're going to get into the character of love. So Paul says, you need love. He says, I need love. What does this love look like? That's what we're going to dive into in these next verses. Paul says, this love that I'm asking you, this love that you're compelled as a Christian to display. I mean, Jesus said it. He's like, I give you a new commandment, guys. John 13. He says, love one another. And then he adds, as I have loved you, love one another. Now, that's a pretty high standard. But that's the standard we're called to as believers. Romans 5 says it so clearly. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Everyone say, the love of God. The magnitude of the love of God. The magnitude of the love of God has been poured out in your heart by the third person of the Trinity. So if you're not walking in the love we're about to talk about, you have power to walk in it. If there's a little bit of conviction that stirs your heart, 
Say yes to that conviction and say, Holy Spirit, I want to walk in this love. Help me to walk in this love. He's like, oh, that's what I'm in your heart to do. I want you to look and to act like Jesus. And he's the counselor and he's the helper and he's the comforter and he's the strengthener so that we would walk in love. Verse 4. I don't have it on the screen. Don't worry about it. They were such small phrases that I didn't. I think we can remember love is patient, love is kind. Everyone say love is patient, love is kind. That's what we're about to talk about. Love is patient, love is kind. Paul, in beginning to describe what true, pure, selfless, unconditional love is, the first thing he says is it's patient. Or it endures. And he says, and it's kind. Now, when I think of this, and as I was thinking of this, I was thinking of two verses. My mind went to two verses. First, it went to Romans 2, verse 4. Paul uses the same language. He says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Luna, I think I have Romans 2, verse 4. Thank you, friend. You're doing such a good job. Appreciate it. Give us a wave. We can't see your head. <laughs> Just mess away. <laughs> Paul says this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? Now just leave that up there. That kind of feels a little harsh. He's coming out of Romans 1 where he lists a ton of sins that the Gentiles were walking in unknowingly. And then he starts to address the Jews. And the Jews had, at that time, had a different problem. They were looking at the Gentiles saying, God's going to judge them. But because of our national identity, because we are the people of God, and because we know his kindness, he's not going to judge us like he judges them. And it was actually allowing them to stay in their sin. And Paul says, no. This is what the kindness and forbearance and patience of God is supposed to do. You understand the riches of it. He says, it's supposed to draw you and lead you to repent before him. Oh, your kindness. Oh, your mercy. And if you knew the kindness and mercy and forbearance of God, we would repent. And that's what Paul's saying. It should lead us to repentance but the verse that was really speaking to me about this was 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Paul's giving his testimony. He's writing to Timothy. He's reminding him of who Timothy is. And then Paul reminds Timothy about who Paul is. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength. That's the Father, or that's Jesus. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. So Paul says, this is who I was. I was persecuting the church. I was blaspheming the Son of God. And I was, I was dragging them out of their houses. I was approving for them to be stoned. Paul goes on. He says, but I received mercy. Because I acted ignorantly. And in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus. Let's catch this, guys. Mercy. Paul says, 
I did not deserve it. But there was a patience, there was a kindness toward me, and I received mercy on that road to Damascus when Jesus encountered me. He should have killed me, but I received mercy. And he says, and I experienced overflowing grace for me from the faith and love that are in Jesus. He goes on in verse 15, this, this saying is true and deserving of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Here he goes again, talking about this mercy. He says, but I received mercy. He keeps going back and forth like this. He was like, I was a sinner, I'm the foremost, I was a persecutor, but I received mercy. And then Paul says, and it was for this reason, that in me, and through God showing mercy to a blasphemer, a murderer, an opponent of him, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. That's the same word here for love. Love is patient. And he's saying, through me, Jesus is displaying his perfect patience so that I would be an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And then he just overflows in praise. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Guys, I feel like we need to touch a little bit of 1 Timothy chapter 1 in this season that the Lord has this church in. The Lord is speaking to us about the 5,000. The Lord is speaking to us about the harvest being plentiful, the labors being few. Lift up your eyes, John 4 says, and the harvest is ripe. There are souls in our city. There are souls in our region. And what I'm asking for, God, get them by your mercy. God, pour out your mercy. God, guys, what if we got the worst of the worst? What if we got some of the notable testimonies? And look, we, we're not going to get any of them. We're going to be used by the Lord. But God is going after them in this season. And what if they stood up in their communities? What if they stood up in their families and they say, Jesus has saved my life. And they begin to be transformed by his glory. They begin to be transformed by his patience, by his kindness, by his love. I want a few of these, right? We want them to come into the kingdom. We want these empty seats to be filled by them. We want to take them through the word. We want to show them who Jesus is. And then we want to release them and say, go speak of the one who has saved your soul. This is what I'm asking for. Verse 14. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. How many of you were here on Sunday? And you wrote down five names of the people you're going to be praying for to come into the kingdom. How many of you wrote down the five names? I'm asking for that grace and love to overflow to those five people. Lord, in this season, we want to experience overflowing grace with the faith and the love that are for them in Christ Jesus. Get them with your overflowing grace. Amen? Love is patient. Love is kind. Now, this is something I look for as a mark in a man of God. If I see a leader in the body of Christ, or if I see a believer, something that tells me that they are walking with Jesus, that they are being molded by Jesus, is they are patient, and they endure with those around them, and they display love regularly. Guys, we have so many opportunities to do this. How many of you have children? 
you have so many opportunities <laughs> to practice patience and to practice kindness, right? And you have so many opportunities to get it wrong, right? This needs to be alive in our families. Lord, you overflowed with patience and kindness toward me. When I was walking as an opponent against you, I don't know all the testimonies in the room, but as we were walking as opponents, as enemies of God, there was patience. And then when he met us with his presence, there was kindness. It says, love does not envy or boast. So the two positive phrases open up this section, and then we have seven verbs that indicate what love does not look like. Okay, love looks like patience and kindness. What love does not look like is envy and boasting. I think of boasting. This word literally means to behave as a person who brags about his achievements or possessions. That these phrases, guys, they were like knives, like holy knives to my soul. I was like, oh, to behave as a person who brags about his achievements or possessions. And memories would come to my mind, and I just repent. Lord, I'm so sorry. I don't want to show love that is envy and boasting because it's not love. It, love is not envy and boasting. It says it is not arrogant. The NIV said it is not proud. The word literally means puffed up. In Corinth, they were being prideful in the face of so many things that were unholy and unloving among them. I mean, they had sexual immorality going on. They had pride going on. They had this strife with Paul going on. And Paul's addressing him. He says, guys, love is not proud. I don't know if I put this verse up, 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. Is that there, Luna? Okay. I love this verse, though. Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you. So he's speaking to northern Damascus, where these churches were in 1 Peter. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. He says, for God opposes the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. He's quoting the Old Testament there. And then he says, so humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may lift you up and exalt you in the proper time and cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Love is supposed to be humble toward God and humble toward one another. Verse five says, love is not rude. The NIV says, love is does not dishonor others. We need to honor those around us. Love is honoring. And I love that it just says so plainly, love's not rude. That helps me in my life. Like when I'm just rude or I'm, I'm unkind and I, and I feel that, I can repent for that. When I'm rude to my wife, <laughs> I can repent for that. Husbands, you can repent for being rude to your wives, right? That's not love. Love is not rude. It honors those around us. It honors women. It honors children. It honors boys. It honors girls. It honors the older. It honors the middle age. It honors everyone. I believe that if you would have stood beside Jesus, you would have felt honored in his presence. You shouldn't have felt honored because he was the son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But think of those young disciples that were with him, getting to have conversations with him. 
That doesn't mean Jesus doesn't rebuke. But I believe he even did that with some gentleness. He did that with some honor. And he restored. I mean, just think of the way he restored Peter. We won't get on this, but love is honoring. Okay. Now, Luna, we can go to the next slide. Love does not insist on its own way. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. This is the last one without a slide. The last one in this list, it says, love does not insist on its own way. The passion says this. Mike read it to me this morning. He says, love does not selfishly seek its own honor. So it doesn't dishonor others, and it doesn't selfishly seek its own honor. I wrote this. Love does not believe that finding oneself is the highest good. <laughs> we kind of hear that in our culture today. You got to know yourself. You got to love yourself. You got to... Guys, love does not believe that finding oneself is a good thing. It is not enamored with self-gain, with self-justification, with self-worth. To the contrary, it seeks the good of, the, of one's neighbor and even one's enemy. It seeks the good of one's enemy. Love says, bless your enemies. Pray for those who are persecuting you. How many of you do a good job of blessing enemies? Just think about your last highway trip, okay? How many of you do a good job of blessing enemies, cutting you off? At that moment, that car is an enemy, and I do not want to bless him, right? I spend a lot of my life on I-25, and so I get this worked out in my life every morning. I get to, I get to uh, <laughs> fall and then get back up and repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. No. I was thinking this. The call of a disciple is the call to actually die to yourself, to die to your own ways, and to love the Lord and others. Jesus said this in John 12, 23 through 26. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and what? Dies. It remains alone. But if it, say it with me, dies, it bears much fruit. Now Jesus is going to put definition to what he just said. Whoever loves his life is going to lose it. But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then he's going to put more definition to what he's talking about. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, he will be honored by my Father. The next verses go on to describe Jesus saying, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. And he's talking about the cross. He's saying he's the seed that's going to go in the ground and die and bear much fruit. And we are supposed to follow in his footsteps and die to ourselves. I mean, how many verses in the gospel say we are supposed to take up our cross daily? I don't like that daily <laughs> inside of take up your cross. I don't mind a few times, but daily? I'm supposed to take up my cross daily? I'm supposed to deny myself daily? And the answer is yes, we are. But the good news is this. There's joy found in not living for yourself. There's pain, depression, anger, sadness, thoughts of suicide, 
that comes from living for yourself. But living for another that fills you with his love and his glory is way better, guys. Denying yourself is the path to joy. Jesus says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross was the pathway to joy and to glorification and to his father and to an eternal bride. Guys, the cross is a pathway for us to a bridegroom, to the new Jerusalem, to walking with your father on this side and being free from anxiety and strife and heaviness. Now, it's not easy, but it really is joyful. Amen? How many of you guys know it's not too easy to die to yourself daily, but you really experience joy. You really do. Love does not insist on its own way. I mean, we just have to go to Philippians 2 here. Paul is taking this verse and applying it in another way. He's taking this concept and in Philippians 2 he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So he says there's supposed to be a unity of the Spirit in the churches. There's supposed to be a unity of of mind. There's supposed to be a unity of love, a unity. And then he says, verse 3 Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he goes to describe the cross. Jesus, who did not think equality with God was something to be held onto and to be grasped, but laid it down and became a man and became a servant and died on a cross for you and me. And then what did God do? Raised him from the dead and exalted him at his right hand. This is the way of love. Someone said in our meeting this morning, they said, for God so loved the world, he gave. That touched me. For God so loved the world. What did the God of love, what was his action? He loved the world so much. What did he do? He gave. He gave his best. He gave his son. Oh, this is so good, guys. Not my preaching, but the chapter. <laughs> my preaching is a little waning, but the chapter is not, okay? <laughs> Uh, verse 6 says, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. I was thinking of this. Love does not rejoice in evil. Where are there areas in our life where we rejoice in evil? I was thinking about the, the, the movies I choose to watch. I was thinking about the shows that I choose to see. Is there a rejoicing in evil? Is there a love for evil that I'm setting my eyes on? that love would not do. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. I was also thinking about this. I was thinking about I was thinking about when someone falls or when some scandal happens and I wasn't really thinking about in the church. I was thinking about not in the church, just in life. And something rises up in my heart and says, 
that person deserves that. How many of you guys have that thing that rises up in your heart? Someone does something in politics or something comes up or, and they fall, they're shamed. Maybe a criminal gets, gets caught and, and we automatically go, man, they deserve that. Guys, I don't think that's love. Now, I believe there should be punishment. I believe there should be moral restraint for the godly and the ungodly and for everyone in our society. I believe in laws and I believe in obeying them. But the thing, that evil thing that rises up in my, my heart and says, they deserve that. That does not rise up in God's heart. We deserved hell. That's what you and I deserved. He owed us nothing. And we deserved hell. But he gave us mercy. Love does not rejoice in sin and evil or someone else's wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. Amen? Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. I was thinking of verse 7 in light of my love for the Lord and the Lord's love for me. Love bears all things. It endures all things. I was thinking of my love for God. Lord, I want a love that endures to the end. I want a love that believes and trusts always in you. We can't trust always in others, but we can trust always in God. We'll be disappointed by trusting in others, right? We get disappointed by believing in others. But we look to God and we say, I trust you. And because of that, I can turn around and believe in them again and trust in them again and love them again. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it always endures. Let's go on. Five more minutes. We're going to finish this passage. And then Paul has a little shift here. And I believe the shift is love never ends because he begins to talk about the end. Paul says in verse 8, did I have verse 8, Luna? I don't think I do. I finished my slides a little hastily. Verse 8 says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. So he's pulling up that list that we started at first. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge. He doesn't have faith in here because faith is going to endure. We're going to find that out. But he says, prophecies are going to end. Everything in Scripture that is spoken of Jesus is going to be fulfilled by him. Did you know that? The entire book of Isaiah is going to be fulfilled. The entire book of Jeremiah is going to be fulfilled. Like capital P, prophecy, is going to come to an end because Jesus is going to fulfill it all. And then also, I think that, that you know, small letter P, that now word of the Lord that we need for our lives to help us engage in the ultimate plan of God. Lord, what, what are you doing now? What are you saying now? That prophetic gifting that speaks to the heart, that's going to end too because we're going to have resurrected bodies and resurrected mind. Paul's going to go on and say, you are going to know fully just as God knows you. That's a crazy statement to me. God knows you perfectly. He knows the workings of your heart. He knows your destiny. He knows your future. And you are going to know fully. He says, 
Prophecies are going to end. Tongues are going to end. Knowledge is going to end. It will all pass away. He says, but love has no end. And then he talks about the age to come. He talks about being face to face with God. He says this, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial is going to pass away. Guys, the perfect is coming. And the way Paul describes the perfect is coming is love is coming. The full manifestation of love for God on the earth and people loving God with all their hearts is coming to the earth. It's coming to a theater near you. It's coming to Denver. It's coming to Boulder. It's coming to Colorado. It's coming to America. It's coming to South America. It's coming to the earth. God is love. And he is coming to the earth. Paul says this, when I, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. For now I know in part, then I shall know fully, as I have been fully known. This makes my heart rejoice. Guys, we are going to see God face to face. Love never ends. And we are going to see love face to face. We see him now as in a mirror dimly. We see him with the eyes of our hearts, the scriptures say. But Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4, it's going to be real. It says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. This is talking about the city of God, the New Jerusalem. And his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. I love that. His servants will worship him. They will see his face. How many of you guys would like a worship service with Revelation 4, Revelation 5, Jesus and the Father on the throne shining in all their glory? That's where it's going. We see in a mirror dimly, but there we will see face to face. Love never ends. The other thing I was thinking about love never ending is the fruit of us showing love. It will be turned into that, that, that treasure that I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the verse right now. I'm thinking of 1 Peter chapter 1 where he says, your faith and the gift of God and the hope of the resurrection it is that treasure that will never pass away that is stored in heaven for us. I believe we store up our heavenly treasures as we show love for one another and as we display love to the Lord. Love will always be remembered. So God is love, and we're going to see him face to face, and he's never going to end, but also the rewards and the fruit of our love, that's the only thing that's going to pass over to the other side. Prophecy isn't, knowledge isn't. He says faith and hope are going to pass over. And love is going to pass over. And he says, and the greatest of these is love. Okay, I went a little over, but why don't we stand and pray? Mm. Luna, why don't you come up and if you wouldn't mind just...
playing on the keyboard a little bit. I just want to spend a few minutes in prayer. If you need to go get your children, go ahead. I'm going to pray kind of a closing prayer, but I was just thinking if there are those in this room that just need a fresh touch of the love of God tonight. You might have got a fresh touch this weekend, but you just need kind of a, a fresh encounter with the love of God. Either your, your heart's close to it, you're a little callous toward it, or you need a fresh touch and empowering by the Holy Spirit to show love toward others. That's what I've been praying this week. Lord, I need a fresh encounter with the way you feel toward me, with the way you think toward Marcus Meyer so that I can show that fresh love to others, to my coworkers, to my wife, to my children, to those in the restaurant that I don't know, but you know them and you love them. So what I would like to do, if that's you, and if you would like just a little extra prayer tonight, just raise your hand and we're going to gather around you just as your friends Good. Keep your hands raised. If you need to go, you can go. But if you have a little bit of time, let's look at our friends and let's find someone with a hand raised and we're going to just become the ministry team, okay? So keep your hands raised if you want someone to pray for you. And then let's find everyone with a hand raised. There's a lady in a blue shirt right here. I'm sorry, I don't know your name, but Ben and Mary are coming for you. Oh, you got some good prayer warriors coming for you now. We're just going to take a minute and we're going to ask God to fill our friends with his love. I'm just going to pray a, a general prayer for all of us. And then I want to release you guys to pray for these people. Now, if you have a word of prophecy, give it to them. If you have... If you have something that, that, that the Lord is sharing with you, share it in a, in a very kind and loving way. And let's encourage our brothers and sisters tonight. Lord, I thank you for this chapter. I thank you for the patient and kind love that you showed us. I thank you for the grace that overflows. I thank you for mercy. Lord, I ask you for help that we would walk in the same love and in the same manner of love that you walked in, Jesus, when you were on this earth. Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to be patient and to be kind. That you would empower us to not be boastful. That you would empower us to not love evil or wrongdoing. That you would empower us, Lord, to not insist on our own way. Lord, I ask you for a grace to deny ourselves and to look to you and to love you with all of our heart and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We ask you that we would love in the same manner that you love Jesus that the new commandment would be fulfilled in our lives. So right now we say, all together, awaken us in your love. Awaken us to your love, Lord. I ask this for everyone in this room. I ask this for myself. Awaken my heart again. Open my eyes again. Strengthen us, Holy Spirit, to comprehend 
the love of God with all of the saints, to comprehend that love that passes our mental knowledge, but fills our hearts and fills our spirits. Fill us with the Ephesians 3 fullness of God right now. Right now, fill us with love. Fill us with the fullness of God. Do it in such a way that is greater than anything we could ask for, Lord. Now let's just take some time. Let's pray for those that are asking for prayer.